to another episode of Steady Lads. The lads have been traveling around. There's been a lot of activity, just like we're starting to see some activity in the markets. I think Thicky is, uh, you're in Dubai? I am in Dubai. What's your, uh, what's your ex experience there? Um, it's been nice, you know, it's kind of hot, but you know, all the amenities are very nice. I, I've just been chilling in the hotel room the entire time, kind of half trading. Half trading. Is, is, is Sumitar Capital going to make it or are, are you guys close to any liquidation levels? <laughs> you know, we, um, it's hard to say, it's hard to say. <laughs> Made some good bets. I, I actually went max short at 25K on a bunch of alts, like the, the shortest I've ever been in my life. And um, we, we managed to like, we managed to short the right thing so that like after the pump, it, we didn't get killed too much. But uh, yeah, it was a bit brutal. It's choppy out there. Um, it's rough markets. Justin, you've been doing less degen things lately. I, heard, I hear you're uh, doing a real real world asset summit. Yeah, so I flew to New York. I'm, I'm still here right now. Uh, two days ago, there was the Real World Asset Summit that Centrifuge and some other partners put on. Uh, really interesting that there were a ton of institutions uh, that came. JP Morgan was there. They just launched JP Morgan coin. There were a few other institutions <laughs> um, that launched their own private blockchains. What? So what is JP Morgan coin? Like, is this uh, a stable coin? From my, no, for, it's, it's just their private blockchain platform where they're going to use to send, I think, client funds. Um, more quickly than traditional where else from what I understand. I think City just announced they're doing something similar. And it was really cool because at, at the conference, there were like two factions of people. There were, I would say like the crypto native folks and like builders and people I knew in my network there um, that were like publicly calling out these like private permission blockchains and saying like, this is just a database. Like this doesn't make any sense to build on blockchain. And then you had the other half, which were like super excited about this. And I think I'm somewhere in the middle where like I'm happy people are like experimenting with the tech, but private blockchains are kind of silly as far as I understand them at least. Um, but it was a good time. Taiki and I met up in person too. He in New York here, we had a great time together. So Taiki, did you get Justin into your uh, eat to earn app you were telling us last time? Yeah. So there's this new uh, app called Blackbird, which is like an eat to earn app. Um, and I told Justin about it a couple of weeks ago um, and he lives in California. He felt the FOMO. Um, and of course, you know, he came to New York for the real world, uh, real world asset summit, but I think also part of the reason he came out here was so that he can eat to earn. Um, and it's a pretty novel application. I don't think that many people know about it, um, but it's trying to be this customer loyalty uh, or like customer retention, like customer lifetime value app, uh, where every time you dine in, you get some tokens and the restaurant, they also get some tokens too. Um, and this was a company founded by Ben Leventhal. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been, you know, farming this pretty aggressively uh, in the past couple of weeks. I've been dining into, you know, Vietnamese food, restaurants, um, and, you know, this is the founder, Ben Leventhal. He actually co-founded Eater, uh, which was sold to, to Vox Media um, 10 years ago for 30 million. Uh, he also sold Resi to American Express. And now his third company is this thing called Blackbird. Um, they raised over $30 million from the prominent VCs. Um, and th this app is only available in New York right now. Um, and they're going to expand to other uh, locations like SF, LA, and Miami. Um, but I, I'm, we're starting to like notice this trend of, you know, there's, I feel like there's been like an overinvestment into the infrastructure layer in crypto, uh, but now we're finally seeing some investments into the application layer. Uh, so we saw FriendTech, which has its cyclical ups and downs. And now we have this potential mass consumer app called Blackbird. Um, what do you guys think about this type of application, like eat to earn? So how do you use the tokens? Like these fly tokens, are they used for buying food? You get discounts or how, how do these get monetized? Yeah, so from my knowledge, um, in the future, you can use these fly tokens to make in-app purchases. Uh, 
I have no idea how they're gonna ask, like assign value to the token, um, but it's it's pretty cool because um, whenever you go to a restaurant for the first time, you get like an NFT. Um, and the first time you go, you get like a free perk. The third time you go, you get you get like a free appetizer. Um, and they're trying to incentivize people to go to multiple locations. You know, you, you go to like these restaurants. You, there's like this red box thing that you like tap your phone into. Uh, you get you get some to uh, tokens immediately. Um, and you know, I went to this place called Monsieur Vaux, uh, which is like a Vietnamese place, and first time I went, I got, I got like a free sake shot. Um, and I've been using this as like, as an excuse to meet with like different people, um, as like a networking thing, which like has been pretty fun too. Um, but, uh, there's like also this place called Madame Vo, uh, which is another Vietnamese restaurant owned by the same person. Um, and the third time I got a spring roll and the fourth time, um, if I go one more time, um, I'm going to get like a free glass of wine at the, the other Vietnamese restaurant. So they're kind of using this app to incentivize people to go to multiple locations, even if it's owned by like the same family. Um, and I think this kind of makes sense, right? Like you try to use tokens to incentivize real world behavior. Um, and I think this is different from like walk to earn because when, when you're like buying food, you're actually like consuming something, you're actually paying something. So um, I think if this gains like millions of daily active users, monthly active users, um, they, they can't monetize this like on the advertising side. I'll, I'll share my experience quickly. Um, I, I have a bunch of friends that are not into crypto in New York. I'm from the East Coast, so everyone moved here. And these people are like, you know, have never used a self-custody wallet, never really bought anything on Coinbase, let's say. But for them, like just downloading Blackbird and hearing, oh, this is from the Resi founder. He's creating a new app to sort of track loyalty and you get some rewards for doing it. It's clicked with every like normal person I've shared it with here. And I've had like a blast hanging out with friends, going to a bunch of different spots. And the patrons themselves like are so excited to meet you. They've all like, you know, been excited to talk with us, shake our hand, ask how we heard about Blackbird and talk a little bit about how it's helping their restaurant. And most people I spoke to, most uh, bartenders, servers, et cetera, said about five to 20 or so new customers are coming to the restaurant to check in with this app, which is pretty cool. So for me, it's just really exciting to see something in crypto that's not, you know, pure speculation, like new form of Ponzi-nomics. It's nice to see like people actually building in this space. So it's been awesome, really fun. Nice. It sounds like we're at the early stages where it's it's fun. The points, we don't really know exactly how they're going to be used. The North Koreans aren't trying to hack them. But, you know, <laughs> as, as soon as you can get like uh, free hamburgers with, with these points, I'm pretty sure Kim Jong-un is going to immediately get his guys on it so he can uh, he can get his fix. Thank you. Do you think there's MEV coming for uh, for fly points? Uh, potentially, potentially. That is that is a nice thing. It's like more civil proof against like, I don't know, Vietnamese airdrop farmers or something because they're just partnering with American restaurants. I do, I do wonder, though, what the end game is for these things. I, I, I love the idea. I've always been a proponent of loyalty points using crypto rails. Um, I've talked to a lot of startups and I've angeled in a few. One of the problems I always have when I kind of go through the thought process is you, you get these points, whether it's airline miles or something else, ultimately do they have a convertibility to dollars? And if you're making them fungible, because usually the idea when people bring up putting frequent, frequent player points on the blockchain is that, oh, well, you know, you can send you can send them around and you can sell them and put them into DeFi, like AMMs and all this stuff. But as soon as you do that and it becomes fungible, it has no utility, it has no purpose. Like it's the same as a dollar. Um, you know, if, if a frequent flyer mile can be sold for X amount of dollars, there's no point for the mile to exist. It's, it's just the same as currency. Let me share um, a little bit about the pitch. So I, um, in an, I'm in an investment group that participated not in this most recent round, but in their seed about a year ago, maybe a year and change ago. And the pitch then, and I think that's still the pitch today, is that 
Um, so the founder was basically saying the average restaurant does about 5 million in revenue. Their goal is to match that 5 million or so in revenue with like the equivalent of $5 million worth of Blackbird tokens. And the goal here for them is that the restaurants will have a governance share in the platform. So this would be more of a governance token. And the reason behind that is the founder sees a lot of value here in um, subverting the traditional payment rails. So getting rid of that three to 4% rate that credit card companies charge. So you would pay directly on your phone, presumably through a Blackbird POS system or a traditional system with stable coins. Um, and that the platforms would then like own all of this data um, or excuse me, the restaurants would own all of this data and have like the majority of governance control over the platform, which was a pretty novel design. And um, I really like the approach they're taking of trying to be as invasive, as little invasive as possible with the restaurants. So they're not changing anything about the restaurant's behavior. Like Taiki showed earlier, they just have this check-in point where you tap in. Restaurants are already like super familiar with that. And this doesn't really add any work for them, which I think is a pretty cool approach. I mean, I love the experimentation and it does look like these guys have gotten through the first initial traction, which is awesome. Is, is where is this, uh, is this on mainnet or L2 or where is this built? It's on base chain. Um, base and that's again. Also, okay. Yeah. Wow. Like base is racking up these wins. Um, I feel like I, I personally have nothing against Solana, um, but I think one of the bull cases for Solana was like all these mass consumer apps are going to launch there for fat because it's like faster, cheaper. Um, but it seems like, you know, friend tech, um, Blackbird, they're launching on um, they're, yeah, they're, like they're launching on base, um, and it seems like the developers um, that's actually trying to get like mass adoption um, for their like whatever applications they're using is choosing base. Like, what do you guys think about that? Like, do you think it's like a fad, or um, like do you actually think that this is like where the puck is going? I mean, the L two war is, a, is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about, and I have to say, given what we're seeing out of base compared to like their initial, you know, bald meme coin, like <laughs> rugs and all this stuff is, is quite a lot better than I expected. Um, I was looking at the charts for some of the other ones like Arbitrum uh, and we, we can talk about LP as well later, but they're not looking as healthy. And I guess having the duopoly and also ETH kind of suffering, not, not being, um, you know, anywhere even near holding 2000 is making some of these other L2s, look pretty uh tame thicky have you been uh have you been kind of shorting some of these l2s and sui aptos i saw sui is just getting destroyed as well um are you finding opportunities on the trading side on these yeah it's an interesting question i i, I do think like the l2 space or yeah the, the alt l1 space is probably going to trend towards like something like near like a billion dollar market cap i, I think you know aptos and sui are definitely still way too overvalued I, I think the end game for these guys like in solana included is to be like a roll-up onto eth that seems like you know a good way to keep relevance i'm curious if you guys think the same thing like can a can a monolithic like l1 exist that's like separate from eth and have a utility the whole like eth roll-up stuff uh, I don't know what your guys' Twitter feed looks like. I feel, I feel like sometimes mine is different than everybody else's because everybody will, will be commenting, saying how everyone's fighting. Oh, there's all this fighting going on last weekend. And I don't I don't see any of it on my timeline. I just see people talking about other people doing it, but I don't know if you see it. Um, I have a lot of like nerds that talk about how like roll-ups are, uh, you know, side chain they're, they're, they're different chains and it's all like a fa facade and they're not actually part of ethereum and what does it actually mean to be uh, a roll-up and you know working with mantle obviously there's been a lot of uh, decisions that i've seen in terms of data availability like do you use uh, ethereum mainnet for data availability do you 
use eigenlayer to do something else. As you start to abstract the layers and not really kind of be fully Ethereum uh, focused in every way, it gets very political. You know, there's purists out there and there's um, people who are more practical. I would put myself on the more practical side and I admire kind of, you know, what BASE has done in terms of just focusing on consumers and things that people actually want to use. And I'll, I'll give them props. I don't know if you guys have used the Coinbase wallet on the, on the iPhone. Um, pretty smooth. Um, so I, I think those L2s that are product focused will do a lot better than ones that are just sort of building tech and trying to be purists and ultimately not get any users and not get any uh, actual liquidity. Uh, there was an interesting tweet by uh, uh, Roshan. He uses Linea as, an, as, as a kind of example, as one that you know has raised a lot of money and uh, launched already and has all this uh, MetaMask advantage because they're aligned with MetaMask. And they. I don't know if, if you guys have been using MetaMask lately, but Linea has become like the, the, the top drop-down option when you want to change chains. But his point is that Two months into launch, you know, their TVL is under 20 million and maybe they have something cooking, but uh, it doesn't look necessarily like they're going to be able to get a lot of traction. Um, and that could be the case for a lot of these uh, L2s. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still quite early. Uh, frankly, I hadn't even, I have, I think I might have heard of Linea, but haven't really read anything about it. So I can't really speak to that specifically, but I do think it's early. I don't think it's going to be a winner-take-all market going forward, uh, similar to what we saw with like the L1 rotation in the peak of last cycle. I think we'll see something like that. But to, to your guys' point earlier, I do think L2s are the future, but I would be very disappointed if projects like Solana became L2s because while we don't think monolithic blockchains can scale in a decentralized way, like giving up on that experimentation seems like a net negative to me just because like everyone pretty much agrees that if we could do it on one chain and scale that one chain and keep it decentralized and make sure there's enough throughput uh, and gas prices didn't get out of control, like that would certainly be better, right? Like the optimal case is one chain, all the liquidity is there, all the usage is there and it can scale and it's decentralized. And I do like there's a segment of the market sort of researching and building and investing in that. But I, I do think it's probably not feasible. Um, so I, I agree with you guys that L2s are going to be the where the liquidity goes in this possible next cycle. Uh, but I do hope like Solana does not pivot to being a, a layer two on Ethereum. I mean, think you, you've had some experience with Solana and like is the bridging money there? Do you think that that's a fatal issue right now in the current state without having FTX as a as a bridge? Do you, do you see that there is a way where it still gets liquidity or? Yeah, I, so I think you can currently bridge assets there through Wormhole, um, but you're always exposed to that sort of wrapped asset risk. Uh, I think Layer Zero had plans to integrate Solana last year, but they decided to scrap it. I'm not sure when or if they're going to come to Solana so that like you can natively swap that way and not be exposed to bridge risk. But yeah, I, I think like from a DeFi perspective, like bridging any asset because of you know like the Wormhole hack last year and also with FTX's like wrapped solid assets just completely just getting wiped to zero. It, it just seems kind of risky to, you know, bridge any non like USDC assets on the Solana. And I think like their DeFi TVL has definitely reflected that, that like you know, it's been difficult to grow and uh, it, it's hard for people to like build that trust back because DeFi is one of those things where it's like very, very, very dependent on trust 
more so than let's say like NFTs or something like other use case. Yeah, I agree. I just did my FTX claim uh, today to try to make sure I get it in time for the deadline. And I just got PTSD looking at, I don't know if you guys have done it, but you, you, you see the exact same front end as FTX used to have. And it just shows you, you know, all the assets and all the withdrawals. Um, it's, it's not a great feeling looking at those bad memories. Question for you, Jordy, like your claim, is that denominated completely in cash or is there like crypto exposure with the claim? I was kind of aware of what was going to happen before it closed. And I did just before, uh, the deadline, I switched everything to USD. So it's all cash, but there's like 0.000125 serum and like all this kind of crap. So <laughs> I'm worried that like, I will have to go through a more complex process. Uh, where they have to value those assets, even if it's just dust. I wish that there was a way I could just tell them to keep it and <laughs> I don't want it back. Um, there was one that's like negative. I have like a negative zero, zero, one Algorand. So, <laughs> I, you know, this stuff kind of pisses me off because it's literally worthless, but the lawyers will just happily spend $300 of their time making sure that it's accounted for uh, just for like legal process. It seems like a total waste of everyone's time. Did you guys see the Mt. Gox coins are delayed another year? I think October 2024 is when those coins will like are scheduled to get released. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was delayed further. I mean, it's just insane how the incentives are all aligned to like keep these processes going and going and going. It, it's pretty wild. Well, I, I will say that with the Gox thing, um, I believe they delayed it only for people that haven't like entered their correct and full details. So the people that have which I think is most of the people, they said that they're going to get the distributions hopefully by year end, which is, which is very not good for, uh, you know, it's kind of bearish, I think. Because it's like $3.4 yeah. billion of crypto. But like the base case is, probably is a little delayed, right? Like they've consistently pushed every deadline. Like I think in 2020, like was the initial date they were going to release the coins, right? Uh, I have a question for Thicky, like, because you mentioned earlier uh, that you were like just you were like shorter than you've ever been. Um, and, you know, you've mentioned these token unlocks, like the supply overhangs, Gox, FTX, et cetera. Um, like what's going to make you change your mind? Uh, like, because if, if you're, uh, if, if your inclination is to go short, then there, there has to be something that needs to happen, right? Like if, for you to flip long and just say, you know what, like it's time to go max long, you know, like max bid. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, so just to clarify, I was short a bunch of vaults and then like BC ripped and then I ended up just capitulating. I was like, fine, I'll just hedge it with BTC. Um, I, I was like pretty flat on the book, luckily. Um, but well, I, I guess I just need to see the supply overhang, just get sold into the market and see things resolve before bidding again. Um, I, I do think like having ETF and next year election year is like a good confluence of stuff that people will bid into. So it seems like a reasonable time after the supply has been sold and then like, you know, all these new narratives pop up and get super closer. As a non-trader, is it incorrect to think like, because my thinking would be if next year could be bullish with all of these positive catalysts, like now is the time to start thinking about a position. Is that the wrong way to think about it? Like, are these supply overhangs that you're referencing just too great to overcome and there needs to be some sort of capitulation and like bottoming process? I saw Avi talk about this in the, his 1000X podcast. And I think his thought, which I agree with, is that like there's not enough money to like fairly price in a lot of these events. So like they'll just be overpriced or underpriced for like long periods of time. 
So I, I think now is like an opportunity where it's like, even though the fair value should be trading higher, because like if we assume like $5 billion of flows from ETF and having like some people should, you know, practically be able to just weather the storm and just price it in now. But I do think that there's not enough money that has that sort of patience and like that conviction. So I think it's, you know, probably reasonable to just wait and then just buy it closer to the date and you'll still be fine. It's kind of ironic, but the fundamentals are starting to matter in a way. You can actually make money and make alpha just by looking at fundamentals. And I mean that also for flows, but also for choosing tokens and choosing apps and actually thinking, you know, who has established a good enough brand name like Uniswap or Aave that yeah, people can fork them, but ultimately like there is a trust and a recognition that can accrue value. And also like these tokens might be like very distributed now. So there's not like a lot of overhang versus, you know, new kid on the block. It's going to just keep getting supply dumped constantly for like the next five years. And ultimately like their differentiation isn't great. Um, with these L2s, uh, I have noticed that some of them are just trying to get flagship apps that are, you know, Uniswap. And I saw Uniswap as like nine different uh, integrations with, you know, Polygon and you kind of go down the list. I don't know if that's good for the chains. I feel like it depends who's bringing users, right? It's all about users. And if you think about it, uh, you know, as a city that's like hosting a restaurant, for example, or a, the best example I've uh, thought about is L2s are sort of like an amusement park, like Disney World, and they have like slots inside for, uh, you know, different shops. There's two strategies. Like you either bring the flagship apps that are already famous, like McDonald's and Burger King and, you know, Walmart, and you kind of put them into um, your amusement park because people know them and they'll use them, the name recognition. Or you take the stance that like, hey, like I'm providing the customers, the customers are coming for me and therefore... I'm not going to just like give all the foot traffic to apps that I don't have any alignment with. I don't know. Like, do, would you guys feel comfortable using a chain that is developing its own native DEX rather than Uniswap? I, I think you can kind of make an analogy to like the 2021 Alt L1 rotations because when Avalanche went crazy uh, and like Polygon and Q1, Q2 of 2021, uh, they basically brought legitimacy to uh, their entire ecosystem by paying Aave and Curve to deploy on their chain and just print a bunch of AVAX tokens to get liquidity. And then after that liquidity came over to their chain, then like all these like mini altcoin rotations like Trader Joe, uh, there's like a, a bunch of other tokens that like just went crazy. So I think you have to do like a mix of both. So it's like with the amusement park analogy, like maybe you have to have a McDonald's and like, like a Shake Shack, and then you can start like selling, like upselling your you know, gourmet smoothies, like $12 smoothies, like on the, on the side. Uh, and I think that's like how you can actually create like a pretty vibrant ecosystem. You know, Jordy, though, I think like one of the issues is, uh, I mean, to compete with Uniswap right now is next to impossible, right? I mean, of course, someone could, you know, and come up with something. But at the end of the day, like the, the issue we saw with like all these alternative L1s that, that Taiki's referencing is no one brought anything new to the table. So like Trader Joe is just a Uni V2 fork, like all of the AMMs were Uni V2 forks. We saw some Aave forks, compound forks. To me, like if you're just seeing that, there's literally no reason for this layer alt l1 or in this case layer two to exist so i think like the base playbook and i know what you guys are doing at mantle is, is very cool as well with you guys with real world assets with ondo and then coinbase with like these sort of on-chain summary non-ponzi fun real world things is what's needed to 
to actually grow the ecosystem. I think if you're just a place to bring forks over, it's it's not really gonna gonna make it. I, I mean, I don't know that I see it as competing with Uniswap. Uniswap, you know, is on mainnet. They have their whales that trust them there. But if you're building new assets and they're gonna be deployed on an L2, why would you want Uniswap to come in and like take that business rather than have like your native restaurant, you know, cook some stuff up? and be aligned with the ecosystem, be much more willing to give some of their tokens as airdrops to the uni, to like the ecosystem. Like with Uniswap, you have to pay them. Like Aave, you have to pay them. All these guys, they're asking you to give them incentives to come deploy, and actually you're giving them users. So <laughs> it seems to me like the strategy that I've taken with Mantle, kind of helping the, the DAO with their strategy there is, let's not even ask for these people to come and maybe let's block them from coming and in instead make sure that we have teams that are fully capable of creating a similar product, but that actually can give some of its tokens to like local users. Um, and my thesis is like liquidity matters more than everything else. I, I very much respect you guys are trying a new playbook and it's actually really interesting to hear you lay out the thesis. I guess the thing I'm, I'm just like, hesitant about or I have reservations about is I think for you guys to deploy for Mantle or any layer two, right, to deploy something that's better than Uni V3 or Uni V4, which is in the work, seems unlikely. And I think to get that liquidity to a new chain, it's very hard to do that if you're not doing something better, right? It's like Peter Thiel talking about having to be 10x better than the competition to, you know, outseat them. And of course, it could be done with incentives and whatnot. But I think if it has, if it's going to be sustainable, it has to be better. Or you have to like work with these people like Uniswap and Aave that are trusted and, and really good at what they do um, onto your chain. Well, you don't really have to get better. You just have to provide the service. And ultimately, the rest of the economy, I think, is what matters. Because if you're looking at a Uniswap, for example, all you need to do is provide a swapping service that is nice to use and simple and, and smooth um, and safe, right? So... It's all about what are people swapping? Are they coming there for um, you know the actual native assets that are on that chain? Like you mentioned, like Ondo is an example of okay, we're going to be the largest you know RWA hub, for example, or the largest stake teeth uh, hub on an L2. That type of asset and liquidity profile can matter a lot more than um, you know is my Ave fork better than Ave or is it just recreating that service where people can borrow and lend it. Yeah, I'm curious to get some more thoughts on this. Yeah, so I think it's all about liquidity, right? Um, I think the reason like ecosystems want Aave and Uniswap is that you know uh, ecosystems know that if they deploy, they're going to get t TVL. Whereas if some random team makes some Uni V3 fork, you know, maybe it caps out at 30, 40, 50 million TVL, um, and it really doesn't reach escape, uh, escape velocity. Why, why would, uh, I mean, I want to push back because I don't understand, like, why if, uh, let's say, like, Uniswap deploys on Linea, right? Why is Linea suddenly going to get a bunch of TVL? Like, who is waiting, saying, like, oh, I really want to use Uniswap, but I need to use it on Linea instead of, you know, Arbitrum or Optimism? Who, who is that user? Does that user exist? I don't think they exist. Well, well, I, it's, you're worried about the swapper, but from a liquidity provider perspective, like I, I wouldn't provide liquidity on some new layer two with a completely new AMM project, right? If it was Uniswap that launched, okay, now I'm willing to provide liquidity and try this out. I think for a swapper, I agree with you. It's just about price. It's less relevant. Yeah, I agree with Justin. Like my, my main point was like, 
I mean, you see like a project, a new project on a new chain getting rugged or hacked, like literally every single day on Twitter. Like, oh, this we just lost a million bucks. We just lost a million bucks. Like, sorry guys, like you should out of luck. And because they're small teams, they don't like if, if Uniswap got hacked or something happened, an exploit happened, like they would just compensate out of their own pockets. So like having that safety of like, okay, these guys have deep pockets, these guys have a brand to protect, so like I'm kind of protected here. It makes like the trade-off more worth it. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't even. I would say like at this stage, like a new airdrop isn't even worth the risk of, um, you know, farming a new project on a new chain right now. No, I mean I, I fully appreciate that part. And if I did have to choose between having a Uniswap and having like a random team deploy, uh, who, of like unknown quality and like potential ruggedness, I would, I would agree with you guys. I, I would choose like, just convince Uniswap or or whatever to Ave to come over. Um, I guess the approach that I've taken is. I will choose teams that are like, you know, well-positioned VC level backed teams that can actually raise VC funding um, that are, you know, at least doxed, maybe not publicly doxed, but like doxed to investors and have them build these apps in a way they get the exact thing you said, like legitimacy and um, reputation so that people know, like if something bad happens, like there will probably be some ecosystem support and you get that through the the ecosystem itself and, and the mantle for example providing that legitimacy rather than having like the app in uniswap do it jordy can, can i ask you and uh you mentioned like how some of these projects we, we don't have to name specifics require you to like pay them mainly their users with token incentives can you talk a little bit about that process, like with a Uniswap or an Ave? Is it not as simple as like going through governance and just trying to get voters to vote to deploy it? Like, is there some backdoor process where you sort of agree or commit to offering incentives? So there's a mix. I think infrastructure stuff. You generally you just paying, uh, whether it's Chainlink, whether it's you know USDC, whether it's uh, uh, Tenderly, like all these types of things. You're generally paying, and it's quite expensive. On the other hand, if it is a DAO, like a Stargate, you know, you want to have bridging, you want to have, like you said, uh, Ave, these kind of things, it does go through governance. But usually what will happen is you go to the DAO, you make a post and you say like, hey, like as part of you coming over, we will provide a ton of like our token so that people can farm it um, here, which is sort of like paying them anyway. It's just a different form of payment rather than cash. And I think one advantage Mental has is you, you, you guys have like that big treasury. So if you do start like a new money market, uh, maybe you do incorporate um, on Dogecoin, like USDY, I think, um, as collateral. And then maybe you can allow different types of like yield strategies and yield aggregators can build on top. Um, and if a money market has like $100 million in TVL, I think people will naturally trust it more. Um, I think I think TVL is like a pretty big factor. Um, I, I know like, like most people in crypto, like they're not going to go through audits and like, you know, read code. Um, and like, like to be honest, like even myself, it's like, oh, like this thing has a bunch of TVL, it's probably safe. You know, like you, you kind of have to like make that, uh, you kind of have to like make people trust uh, your entire ecosystem. Um, and I think this is like boosting TVL um, by like using your own treasury is like a good way to do so. Yeah, I agree. I think the strategy has to come down to identifying where the value is actually coming from. And just like, you know, if you're running a poker game, you might have the regular guy who's just, you know, grinding and, and showing up every day. And the casino might think that, oh, this guy's like my best customer. You know, he's he's coming in, he's playing 10 hours, paying all the rake. That's great. The reality is it's it's like the fish that make the game. So the fish guy who comes in for two hours and like, you know, loses all his money is the one that's creating 
the ecosystem because everyone who shows up is for them, even if they're, you know, regulars. So identifying that is the same as in trading. You know, the retail traders are more valuable than the, the, the market makers because market makers will go wherever there is, you know, people crossing the spread and, and like providing uh, that action. Um, so I look at it from that standpoint as well. I'm, I'm really trying to not pay for the grinder, like the professional who's just there to take the fish's money and instead try to incentivize the fish, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, I was just thinking, um, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it's kind of like, you know, like at the local uh, poker room, like back when I was playing in college, um, they had like these high hand promotions where every half an hour, like whoever makes like the biggest hand make, like, makes like a thousand dollars or something. Um, and I'm sure like that's probably like minus CV. I mean, like they're probably like lo- like losing money, uh, like directly from the promotion, but it gets people interested. Uh, it gets like the fish to come back time and time again because, oh, like it's Friday, you know, I'm going to eat dinner there. Maybe I'll get a high hand um, and then I'll come back to my home uh, like happy. Um, so yeah, like just trying to accommodate certain types of customers because you know those customers will attract other customers and those customers will attract different types of customers. Um, it's like a good way to think about maybe like multiplier effects um, for ecosystems. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's new space. I think trying to do something creative, at least you, uh, you expand the possibilities out there rather than doing, you know, fork number 52 of, uh, of Aave <laughs> on ZK chain number 16. Um, totally. so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I think the L2 wars are one of the most interesting meta narratives that will, uh, play out over the next few years. I think we could see some MA where like, you know, one has really good tech, but they don't know how to actually make good products or get good apps. And then, you know, you have like base mantle, like these guys much more focused on, on the product side and potentially having some merger, like, oh, you know, we want your prover, but you know, you're going bankrupt because you don't have any activity. Let's <laughs> kind of put the two together. We'll see. This is something that could happen. I was going to ask, like, do you have any mantle, um, like DeFi projects that you want to show that you think are good projects to airdrop on? <laughs> yeah, I'm curious too. So all the kind of uh, blue chips, I, I would say, have not really deployed yet. Um, there's one I'm talking to that uh, is going to be a month or two away. Okay, I'll, I'll drop the uh, I'll drop the alpha. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if you guys are, uh, aware that Mantle is doing like their own LSD, sort of like Lido, um, or LST, you know, like they keep changing LSP. It's always a, a different letter at the end, uh, depending on like which lawyer is asking you to be careful. <laughs> um, but, uh, so Mantle is going to have its, uh, Mantle ETH, um, and the moniker will be METH, AKA meth. And then you walk in here and you bring me more meth? <laughs> That's a brilliant plan, is it? Brilliant. <laughs> and I, uh, I talked to a borrow lend project that is doing like lending and borrowing. So LAB. So there's going to be a meth oh. lab. Do you want to build a meth lab? Come on, let's go and cook. Um, I think the meth lab is going to be worth farming. Just a little, little alpha for, uh, for our, our listeners. So keep, keep an eye for that. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like it. You got to meme it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> the meth lab. So I'm glad you guys approve. Uh, and speaking <laughs> of approve, not approve, maybe let's uh, let's finish up with uh, our favorite segment and 
see what you guys have been looking at lately. Approved. Not approved. Uh, take you. Do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So uh, there's like this new friend tech fork called post.tech. Uh, and it's literally a fork of Twitter that also incorporates elements of, uh, I guess, like friend tech, where, you know, if you go to my profile, like my keys are trading. Like, I don't even know what people are saying. Like 0.064, people are just spamming GM. Uh, and I don't know. Like, I mean, it seems like it's kind of this meta where it's like some type of new project like finds product market fit in terms of like a friend tech. And then there's like this new project on Arbitrum uh, that like literally forks it, incorporates other ponzonomic elements and tries to vampire attack some TBL. Uh, what do you guys think of this? Like, is this type of, is post.tech approved? Uh, do you see the, like, do you think it's going to work? Um, like, what do you guys think? Sign me up for the Ponzi. I approve. I'm down to try it. <laughs> Justin loves just getting into this stuff and trying to get some points. I feel like you're you love points. You love you love accumulating. If there's one like actual piece of alpha in crypto that anyone can share, it's that you have to try everything because you never know what's going to be like an irrational hit. Like you know, nine out of ten times you're wrong, right? But the one out of ten times you're right, it more than makes up for it. And actually, usually, like if you you know if you're listening to our podcast, like one thing I had to reframe about my thinking is that you're actually probably early. Like if you're as deep as we are and you're like one of the few thousand listeners here, you're probably hearing about these things before the regular majority would be. And so like you really have to try everything when you first hear about it. That's the strategy I've, I've employed. It's led to a lot of amazing airdrops over the past few years. And like that's the one piece of advice I always give everyone is just like spend the time and try everything. Yeah, just then with like Blackboard, like he came to New York and he's like spending two, three hours every single day, like walking through like different restaurants, like... This guy is definitely a grinder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like in a hypothetical like mania phase, like, I mean, it sounds outlandish, but you're getting almost a thousand tokens per visit, which I think is not crazy that this could be a $10 token if it hits a few billion dollar FDV. So um, yeah, I, I love trying new things. I think uh, size chat, I can see his 0.93. Like that's insane. Like he is a really okay. high value. I guess people are doing the whole like uh, racer thing where they're, just saying who's in charge of this and size chat is kind of like the arbitrum guy i guess so since this is on arbitrum oh they're giving that makes him, sense they're giving him the the the, the racer slot um <laughs> look at this killing it wow it's kind of crazy how many likes he's getting. with the 1200 followers is getting like a thousand likes on his post that's some insane engagement um <laughs> yeah i think i approve i don't want racer to like cut my my points on uh friend tag <laughs> Yeah, see, I think it's a nice UI. I think Justin's right. You, you should try everything. Fair enough. I mean, I feel like they've done an incremental improvement by using uh, Twitter and combining that with FriendTech. And it's a weird stepchild where I, I I kind of approve. It's different enough. It's not a vanilla fork. So, okay, cool. That's a fair game. Approved. Justin, how about you? Yeah, so my approve, not approve this week is uh, Ben Armstrong, uh, previously BitBoy Crypto, um, is dealing with this crazy legal battle with uh, BitBoy, which was taken over by his employees, presumably. And now he's asking for donations, uh, basically to fund his legal defense. And um, there's a lot of posts. If you want to, you know, have a good laugh, you can watch, look at this thread. There's a lot of posts of like, you know, Ben Armstrong flexing his wealth, a la the same style of like... Uh, some other players we've seen in the space like Do Kwan, um and whatnot. And so 
this is an interesting one. I don't know whether to approve or not approve. I mean, part of me feels bad for this guy. He's had some substance abuse and anger issues clearly. And, and now he allegedly has no money, but yeah, I don't know. Do you guys approve? Are you, are you going to donate to this Jordy? Uh, <laughs> it's probably the last last place I would donate, and uh, definitely not approved. <laughs> not approved. I appreciate that he's uh, he's an emotional creature that's you know wearing his heart on his sleeve and uh, all over the place, but not not being the the best citizen and not somebody that uh, I, I feel like is worth donations. But you know, if if if, if his users uh, feel uh, like they want to make him bounce back, this is definitely an example of. Um, you know, Web 3.0, where the real uh, kind of money comes from the fans just creating uh, token support. Yeah, I definitely don't approve like the, the donation aspect, but I hope you know he if he like figures his life out. Um, and I don't like I, I don't like you know uh, wish anything bad on the guy. Has anyone been like keeping track of like what's actually happened? Like I, I don't. It like, seems like a bunch of things happened with this guy in the past couple months. Yeah, I, I mean, all I've seen is like thumbnails. Oh, I cheated on my wife or I didn't cheat. I did cheat. Okay. And here's the confession. And yeah, I'm doing drugs and gambling and, uh, you know, I lost it all. Can you let... It's fine. I don't spend time on this stuff, but uh, I understand the entertainment value. So I, I approve the entertainment value if, if that's worth anything. Is this like is this like a new way of, of getting engagement in the on the YouTube scene in the bear market? Is this what you have to do? To... <laughs> this is what it takes. Yeah, I started spending $40 on thumbnails. Uh, I, I hired like a, a thumbnail designer. It's really tough out here uh, to get engagement and like clicks. Thank <laughs> uh, you. What do you have this week? Yeah, um, so Optimism announced that they were uh, essentially like selling $160 million OP tokens, OTC, to seven purchasers, um, which are they're locked up for two years, which is like an interesting part of it. I'm not sure if it's going to be like a gentleman's agreement or like an actual contractual lockup. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously the, the treasury needs to sell to like raise money for funds, but like, I'm curious what you guys think about like the way they did it. Is this bullish or bearish? And like, is this better or worse than like selling in the open market? I think it's good. I mean, I think it's great for them to diversify their holdings and to actually like know for sure that they're going to have capital to sustain themselves. I also um, wanted to pull this up as well. I'm in an OTC trading chat and basically someone is looking to buy a pretty large tranche of OP. So like there is some demand out there. Um, and I think it's obviously, you know, just a healthy thing for them to do uh, personally. I mean, we do need to find ways for all these VCs that raised a bunch of money last cycle to actually deploy it, you know, do some capital calls and they need some legitimate projects that they can point to and not get their LPs pissed off at them that they deployed in them, even if the price goes down. So OP is sort of like, you know, it's like Microsoft, you know, you're not going to get fired for, for putting some money into it. I don't know if it's going to have an amazing return, but, um, you know, it's bullish. Like some of the money comes into the ecosystem and uh, supports the OP price, shows, shows that there's a bid for it. Um, so I think it's good for sure. Definitely approved by me. Yeah, I definitely approve as well. I mean, this is like a pretty clean way to sell tokens. Uh, they have runway. Um, two-year lockup's pretty good. I mean, I think it's a win-win for everybody, to be honest. Approved. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the alternative would have been to uh, do like a daily TWAP with DWF and uh, <laughs> claim that it's an OTC transaction. So I think this is a bit better. And uh, talking about DWF, uh, there's a little bit of drama in the market-making world, guys. You know, like as a 
as a market maker, I'm standing back and just uh, observing. But you know, some of uh, Cellini's competitors, GSR, Wintermute, and uh, you know, the legitimate guys, the cool kids in class, have been they've been bullying my boy Andre. Um, we see Christian Gill here from GSR saying that DWF, who was on a panel here in Singapore, he had no business to be on this panel. It is insulting to GSR <laughs> to be in the same room as my boy. I mean, uh, those are those are strong fighting words. And we saw Andre had an amazing response. You know, he's uh, basically saying that we're better at trading, we're better at BD, we're better at all these things. I can see both sides. I mean, uh, it's a different business perspective that both have taken. I'm, I'm remaining neutral. Uh, we do have a scheduled podcast next week, actually, with Mr. Grachev. He might be making his... Uh, directorial debut with us uh, if all goes well next week so our listeners should definitely tune in for that one i think it's going to be a banger um hopefully nothing happens in the meantime and uh he does show up but you know this drama i i would say like i prefer this to the bitboy drama um so from my side approved i don't know about you guys yeah from the drama perspective i definitely approve uh Definitely fun to see like all these market makers fighting each other. Um, definitely like bear market vibes, I guess. Yeah, I would. I'm gonna hold my final judgment till after next week, so uh, I'm holding back my non-approval. But we'll see how next week goes. Thicky, what's your final uh, final decision here? It's kind of like it's very nuanced because like obviously if if Wintermute and GSR think DWF is like you know they're, they're if they think they're pushing the envelope more in terms of like the risk and what they're doing, then it, it might give them a bad name to be like you know associated with the same people. Um, so I get why they're doing that. And I totally understand why DWF would want to like, you know, grow the brand and be associated with like, oh yeah, like we're on that top tier market maker level of like GSR would mute and DWF. Um, so I, I, it, it makes sense politically from both ends to say what they're saying. So I, I guess I approve. Approved. It's not like drama for drama's sake. It makes sense. It's, it's exactly what you said. Like this is like business posturing. Um, it's more for the spectators. It's not like they're doing it, talking to each other. They're on stage performing for the community and trying to position themselves either as, you know, legitimate, cool, successful. They're all taking different routes. I would say, you know, Andre has been the meme king and these guys are trying to be like the button down suit professional type. And, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I approve the, the whole transaction. So hopefully uh, Mr. Grachev will give us some good memes next week. And we'll see you guys there. Take care. Bye-bye.